0: Uh, where are you guys located?
1: Uh, I'm in Toronto. Yeah, we're in Toronto.
0: Okay. Okay. Good. I've been online all day, and uh, I'm, I'm waiting. I know one calls in Germany, so I was like, <laughs> "What time is it there?" <laughs> it's crazy. Getting to be just a blur. It's like I did a three-hour mentor, three hours of mentorship sessions today, plus we did a session, and uh, now uh, an interview and it's crazy. <laughs>
2: nice. truth, truth be told, we're actually in Sweden. We've just been practicing our Toronto accents as much as possible today before you got on. so
0: There you go. Perfect.
1: <laughs> Hi. The following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East.
0: That's Radical Road Brewery. All right, this is Daryl Hers of CD Baby Canada and in Indie Week Canada, and welcome to the music. Welcome, 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 welcome. Thanks for joining us, Daryl. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for our conversation today.
1: Yes, yeah, so, well, so are we. Um, you have been a busy guy since mid March, um, as has 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 a, a lot of people, but but especially you because um, it was interesting. You you canceled Indie Week right away in in the springtime. Um, so obviously, there's a bigger question around you know COVID nineteen and its impact on. Indie week and local and indie musicians, but tell us about really quickly that decision to, yeah, we're we're stopping this. We got to refigure what Indie week 2020 is going to look like.
0: Yeah, we, right off the bat, I was like, there's no way we can do what we normally do, which is live in person conferences, meetings, and performances. Uh, I just knew there's no way. And I didn't want to reschedule, to reschedule, to potentially reschedule, as I know some conferences have moved dates two to three times to end up just cancelling flat out. Uh, We didn't want to do that. And basically, I would say probably about two months in, I started seeing how the music community was hurting. Uh, There's a lot of you know, live music isn't happening. Musicians are hurting in in that they're not touring. There's a huge economic impact and a mental health impact on our community. So we did a total about about face and said, let's do something. Let's like, we have to uh, be part of the community moving forward. And we want to be a positive member of the community and put out positive messages that there will be, a light at the end of this tunnel and we're all in this together let's collaborate let's communicate while it's happening so that we could hopefully make it a little bit easier for some people as they try to navigate this mm-hmm. um you know and the other part is is in Canada you know we're already known as Toronto is the center of the universe of course <laughs> right and to not have a music conference or any kind of connections for the whole year in toronto like there have been some but you know like the major type festivals and conferences like we're one of them to like not have any of it would really be a disservice to our community so so we had the discussion and we're like okay here we go and uh you know we're then behind in getting things organized and planned because we had not done a thing for a couple months, yeah. you know, we're just working on surviving ourselves. And then it's like, Oh, okay. Well we have less time than we normally have uh, to organize and plan and all that. And right off the bat, we also announced, and literally this is a Thursday. We were like, should we do something? Yeah. So we created Indie Weekly. Interesting, like really creative yeah. title last minute. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we are like, when are we going to do it next Tuesday? Let's just, Put it out there. And, and so we've been doing these free online sessions every Tuesday. And the response has been amazing. We've actually built a loyal community. People tune in from across Canada and across the world
2: nice. for
0: these sessions. And we're just putting music industry professionals. We have a conversation on how is everybody coping, what they think the future is, how people can use this time to get their business in order. Um, so that's something we didn't do before. So not only were we late in then organizing Indie week, we're now adding a whole other weekly thing on top of it. And we've also started a mentorship session. So we're actually busier than we've ever been before. Uh, we're just in the final stages of the month long mentorship session that we've organized with SEMA. Uh, and it's been great. Um, The topic is getting your business ready to be export ready, which, which may be kind of like, well, how can we be export ready when we're not traveling? Well, the reality is, is all of the conferences and showcase festivals that I deal with globally are now online, which means you don't have to pay for a flight, hotel, travel time, travel costs, none of that. You just have to log on. And a lot of them are doing it for lower prices than they normally do. Um, and really, I truly believe this is a uh, uh, silver lining. This is actually an amazing opportunity. Huh. All, all of these festivals were not as easily accessible. Like, literally, uh, right now, there's a conference in Brazil called Trends Connect, and we're a part of it. Indie Week has collaborated, uh, we've exchanged passes. Um, so, I've been online in Brazil every day this week. Yeah. Uh, last week was Mondo, New York. Um, previous to that, uh, we've had we did there was Global Toronto that ha- took place. Um, and then uh, coming up is Sim Sao Paulo and Fimpro in Mexico. So we can take part in all of these right now. And and bands and artists can connect with business professionals in other markets right now Mm -hmm. and there's a real important point like sharon osborne i believe it was last week like i've been holding on to an aussie ticket for the last two years and they've canceled twice okay she announced she's booking 2022 for aussie's tour and the point is that everybody's getting in order to be ready for everything going so everybody's booking up and she's like if i don't book this now there's actually going to be no availability of venues because everybody's booking. So if you're not acting now, you're going to be looking at 2023 to actually get going because it's uh, all going to be booked. Yeah. Right. So, so is the time, get business ready to be export ready. And, and you know, with data, you can figure out where your market is like, it's a super exciting time. Um, and reality is everybody's online. So, Music consumption is at a higher rate than normal, and uh, the consumption is in different markets. You could connect with like Canada's population, thirty-nine million. California, about thirty-nine million. Like, like all of Canada fits into one state of the U.S. Uh, You know, uh, Mexico City, I think, is also around thirty-nine million. (laughs) So, where is everybody? It, globally, there's huge markets, and they're online right now. It's actually quite exciting, and
2: the discovering and the discovering new
0: music through the various channels that are available for independent artists. Absolutely, and and so we've been having talks like today. Our indie weekly session was of Latin America, so we had reps from Argentina, Chile, and Colombia on talking about how artists can start working or looking at those markets to, you know, uh, either do some advertising or collaboration and start getting some traction.
1: This brings up tons of questions just by what you said, Daryl, you, you mentioned in no particular order of importance, but you mentioned mental health uh, er, er, earlier on. And, um, you know, Greg was, was a touring musician uh, back in the nineties. I've, I've, I haven't, I, I don't have a talent anywhere in my body for for music. Um, but I could just imagine that, you know, m- musicians and artists who sort of were banking on being able to tour this past summer, uh, going to local festivals, maybe, um, sort of being, having that ripped out of their hands by, by, by COVID, you know, are sort of lost and saying, you know, where the heck am I going to do make money and, and sort of worry? They see musicians who are, are more popular, and not have to worry too much about uh, revenue, doing these free shows online um, and wondering how do they compete with that? And I can imagine the toll that it could take on, on a young artist or a young band or a young musician, um, I'm wondering whether you guys have done any sessions or what you've sort of heard through your your community about how these people are, are either struggling with their mental health or what steps they're taking to be in a more positive state.
0: Wow, that, that's a, a loaded question as well. Um, first off, any week, like we've actually... I believe we were the first to have mental health sessions five years ago as part of our conference, uh, with, uh, over the bridge foundation. And, uh, we've also been a pretty strong supporter of the unison benevolent fund, which everybody in the music industry in Canada should know about. Uh, they're a fund that if you're in the music industry and it doesn't matter at what capacity you could literally work in the mail room at universal records you qualify uh, where if you're find yourself in a time of need and you're in trouble financially, they might be able to help you out. Uh, They also have call centers, uh, resources online, and they also are often holding uh, discussions or sessions that that address mental health issues. So that's one resource to get to immediately. Uh, Over the bridge, uh, Ace Piva is based in Hamilton, but has an online Facebook group and also a place to reach out to for resources. Um, It's been a strong thing, a strong topic for us. Um, You know, our second year of doing it, we had uh, the tour manager for Allison Chains, who basically Allison Chains is known for having issues and like Lane Staley passed away from drug abuse. Um, So it's been an important thing. and, And the reason why we're doing things this year is because we did see artists being affected. And we Mm -hmm. want to be a positive message. So uh, a big part is, you know, taking the time to log on to activities online, these conferences and connecting, you know, I've been getting such a positivity from it myself that, you know, while we're not being able to be in person, we're still connecting, like we're talking here right now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it does have, uh, it's a little bit different, but it does replace that feeling like it's you walk away like, yeah, that was really cool. And, uh, we connected, um, as opposed to just being feeling like left alone during Absolutely. this time. Yeah. That's a huge, huge point. Um, you know, it, it's a tough thing. Like, um, uh, you know, sadly, uh, I've seen members of the community, uh, really struggle during this time. Uh, mm-hmm. we actually lost a member of the community last week, uh, yeah. sadly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, we have to all support each other. Um, I also was in a band in the nineties and man, those were different days. Uh, I gotta say, uh, like, uh, and then when I, later on when when I was managing bands, I managed six bands. And, uh, when Jagermeister launched their music Canada program, uh, out of the 10 bands, six of the bands I managed were sponsored by Jager. So, uh, you can imagine what those, those days. (laughs) Uh, every show, uh, we got uh, at least one or two bottles of Jager. Uh, Mm Um, and you know, our business is surrounded by that. Uh, when you're at a certain level at the bar scene, your job really is to sell beer and, and promote, drinking. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like, that's uh, what we're surrounded by. And people often buy you drinks. And then by the end of the night, you don't even know how many number of drinks or what types of drinks you've had and, and stuff like that. Um, and you can find yourself, you know, five years later going, how did I get here? Cause it just happens naturally. Uh, so there's a bit of a trap that's also part of our in- industry. So there's, um, Discussions to be had on what are the warning signs for yourself, but also your bandmates or people around you. Mm. And and then what are maybe some of the actions that you can move towards, uh, you know, assisting uh, before a problem really happens. Uh, so prevention is a big part of it. So um, it's a topic that could go endlessly yeah. on, but it's, it's, uh, it is very important to us.
2: Sure. Um, the question that I had in Kareem touched on and you touched on it earlier is, um, and we're hearing this when we're talking to a lot of the independent and newer artists, um, it's around the time that we're in right now. And um, Kareem mentioned about, you know, large artists Coldplay can get on and they can do a show and really don't need to make money from it. Where young yeah. artists, um, you know, it's become expected that they go on to Facebook and then obviously Facebook shutting down the live, right, coming up, but you know, I mean, on some platform, and just playing for essentially nothing. Or the other thing we're hearing is festivals are going, yeah, you can play for us. Oh, we're not going to pay you. Or, yeah. or maybe very little. So how do you, how do you coach you know, younger and more independent artists, particularly through this time?
0: Um, two points I'd like to make. One, um, a big part of mental health issue, I do believe, is tech and social media. Um, You know, there was a system kind of in place when I played way back in the 90s. There's a C circuit, a B circuit and an A circuit. You get an agent, you do this, you move up the ladder. Sometimes you play, you know, little tricks and games to get there. Like I remember uh, one time our band was opening for Trooper in uh, Medicine Hat, Alberta. And our agent's like, this is your chance to really get in with the manager of the bar He really likes black crows. You need to play black crows. Well, we listened to it. And at the time we're all like, nah, uh, we don't want to play it. So we just wrote it on our set list and faxed it in, but we never played it. And the very next day our agent calls us like, man, the the manager loved you guys. And thanks for playing that song. He really loved it. And like, yeah, we didn't even do that. So yay. Uh, And we got booked (laughs) back. So So those are things that we could do, but now with social media and stuff, one, everybody's critically judged Uh all the time, not only by peers, but also in the business. It's like, you don't have enough likes, you don't have enough followers and it's shut down. Don't even talk to us. I've seen it happen. Like, uh, where it's like, maybe a threshold is like 80,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. Don't even talk to us if you don't have that. Mm -hmm. That's the introduction. Um, or like how many subscriptions do you have on YouTube? You know, um, cause companies want to know that they can leverage what you already have and build on that so that it'll be financially stable or sustainable. So artists, I believe are feeling I'm not doing enough. I'm never finished. I I'm chasing and chasing and chasing. And I think that that's a, a huge part on mental health. So, uh, that's, Hopefully that covers that part of it. Uh, but how do we get around some of this? Education. Uh, another really big component of what we do at Indie Week is work on education for the artists. Hence, our Indie Weekly, our mentorships, and a lot of our conference is built around presentations. Uh, like we've got Song SongTrust, uh, CMRRA, uh, BandZoogle, Show.co, CD Baby, um, Uh, I know there's more uh, rock, paper, scissors, uh, chart metrics, um, all talking about how to do different aspects of the business. And I think more than ever artists are at a DIY level. They're, you know, they're their own team, the manager Mm -hmm. to the booking agent, to the publicist, to the graphic designer, like they're all of that. And then they're trying to be a musician at the same time. So Education on how to work smart, how to really figure out your time investment on certain things. Uh, I know it's real easy to go down the rabbit hole of YouTube videos and stuff like that. And yeah. it could be like, hey, did you post your own YouTube video today? Have you communicated to people who commented on your YouTube video? Have you followed up? Like, so, so education is a, a way to n- get around that. You know, the, the best thing is is be strong in your business yourself. That's oh. so key. And, um, you know, going back to being a musician in the 90s, man, I had none of this stuff. Like, we would spend probably minimum $25 an hour of studio time, but upwards of $100 an hour studio time. Then we have to mix and master. And mastering, I remember, was at a point – thousand dollars a track so if you're doing 10 songs that's ten thousand dollars just mastering and then you get your design done and then you actually manufacture and often to be like oh well if we get more it's cheaper so let's spend more money and and then you're like okay cool well we just spent twenty five thousand plus dollars radio won't play it much music won't put a video and music stores rarely will carry independent music. That's what it was like in the nineties. So just to get to the start, you're like 25 grand in debt Mm -hmm. and that forced us to go on the road and try to sell CDs and shirts. And, you know, the game is very similar, but now an artist can get a song up easily. Like, you know, again, I wear the hat of CD baby in Canada, but it's really so financially viable for an artist to record on their computer and upload it. It's distributed worldwide. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. Uh, It's amazing. And the investment is definitely not $35,000 or $25,000. Definitely not. So the savings are huge. And now if artists can go, I have to invest something in my business, and put it towards marketing. Like if I'm gonna take the time to put something out, I need to make sure I'm doing it justice by advertising it and so that the world will know it more than just me sharing it. Yeah. And, and that's a huge thing. So we're trying to educate artists on all of these aspects. That's a huge component for us. And not only Indie Week, but I have to say CD Baby, since I've started with them, that is a huge factor of their business. We have a DIY blog, a DIY podcast, uh, had a DIY conference in Austin, Texas and Spain, but both were canceled this year, of course. And it was, it's all an investment in the company on educating the artists so that they can produce the best results.
1: Yeah. So Greg and I have, I don't know if we've argued about this, Greg, but you, you sort of. We argue all the time. (laughs) We, yeah. <laughs> all
0: right let's go I'm yeah, in. let's go
1: so so greg has greg uh, opines that uh spotify is screwing the artist because they get paid i don't know what greg figured it out to point zero 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 two.
2: i think it was Canadian. to earn to earn minimum wage to earn minimum wage you needed six million spins a year i think it was something like that does that yeah. make sense
0: Yep. Uh you could probably throw more zeros in there too. At I, I just I just I just did <laughs> a, I did the
2: quick I did a quick division. It was actually Stephen Fearing who posted the numbers. So I just did a quick thing in my head and it came right around there.
1: So so the question and, and I didn't tell Greg at this time, but I was thinking, well, how much do artists make when a, when their song is played on radio? And you know, what what's sort of the trade-off between, you know, kids on Spotify versus Back in the '90s, when we were listening to Q107 or CFNY or or, or whatever the case may be, uh, but I know you've sort of talked about musicians should look holistically at 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 their at, at music as more as as a business and not sort of like like you said, you don't just put something out and not worry about it. Um, so so I'm wondering whether is Spotify scamming artists and whether you could land on either side of that debate, but what can artists do because there's only one Drake, right?
0: Yeah. And it's funny, because I also teach uh, one day a week at uh, Harris Institute and I get feedback from students. Like it's, it's one way I keep in touch with the young kids as we say, (laughs) you know, uh, because you know, I, I see there's almost three different generations going on right now, people my age and up, and then there's the really sort of like probably twelve years and younger. They've never been to a live show yeah. or like we have, right. Uh, and then the middle in between. they're the ones really messed up because they 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 don't necessarily know what's happening. like i'm i I know what pre-internet was, yes, right. So if some people don't know what pre-internet was, and they're like 25, 30 right now, they gotta be struggling, right? Yeah. Cause it's all they know. Uh, but the younger generation, like, uh, you know, kids, like my girlfriend's kids, they've been watching concerts on Fortnite that are yes. 20 25 minutes long. Uh, I, they watched one with Diplo and five guests. Somehow he squeezed five guests in like 20 minutes cause songs are like two minutes long. And, uh, more than two million people tuned in, right? So here, here's the thing, and my background is also digital. So I've all, like since '97, I've been self-employed completely, uh, and I've got a digital background in desktop publishing, doing websites. I worked for Live Nation for eight years. Uh, I launched VIP Nation for them. I did all the front end design and programming and all this kind of stuff. So I kind of get the digital space, and there's a thing that. And I'll I'll kind of quote two people, right? Tim Berners-Lee, he's the guy who created the internet or the World Wide Web as we know it. And there was an interview around 2002 that really has stuck with me through time. And they were like asking, what's the next thing? And he said, well, uh, basically a database that the audience can contribute to and people add value, that's it. And if you think of it, If nobody logged in and created a membership on Facebook, it would literally just be a logo and a blue bar. All content is what we've given to it. If you think about YouTube, it would be a red bar and a logo and nothing. And all of this, LinkedIn, Twitter, Twitch, all of this is stuff that we've contributed to it. And then you go, okay, well, to watch YouTube, how much does it cost me? nothing for me to create a facebook account how much did it cost me oh yeah nothing uh linkedin nothing and so on so the people add value the only way that they've been those models have been able to monetize is when they've hit a critical level of number of users so and i remember the internet previous to that where we called it the walled garden where people were like, oh, glory days of internet. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to put my stuff up and sell it. You can't see it unless you log in. Yeah. Right? And like people are like, I don't want to create an account to just see your stuff that I might possibly be interested in that I don't give a shit about right now. So nobody bought into that and web crashed. And it was other factors for it to crash, but that was a big part of it. People would invest like $20,000 in a four-page website and not sell a thing. These other models were like, let's just make it free for everybody. Let's get millions of people signed up. And if we can make like a dollar per person, we're good. So that's the one quote: people add value. And yeah. I think often people are putting up walls to the content and not exposing themselves to enough people. Right. Now, the second quote is from Will I Am from Black Eyed Peace. There was a video, I don't know if it's still up, and you know, I watched it many times, and he's like, music was never meant to make money. Right? Wow. And when you try to put the focus on making money from just music, you're most likely going to fail. And he goes, if you think of the hip-hop artist that has the most money, and at that time it was Dr. Dre, why? Because of headphones, right? And music publishing, the term comes from the times where music sold sheet music, right? And, and so publishing comes from something more physical often, that's where the money is, you know, uh, and so on. So it's a lot about really the music as a platform to expose yourself to lots of people. And often, like even prior to COVID, people are saying the money's in touring, Why? Because of people, if there was no people coming to shows, there's no money. Right. And we're, the other part is that people think like they try to think music is like every other business when we're really a percentage based business, right? When we build a team around an artist, you have an agent, how do they get paid a percentage of ticket sales? If you put a manager on, they get a percentage of what the artist makes. And so on, right? So you got to build the pie and you've got all these pieces of the pie that you have to pay out percentages to, but it only matters if you have people, right? So when you're getting to the Spotify part, you know, the reality is it's kind of like the new radio and never before have people had access to get their music heard globally, like through Spotify. And, When that takes place, uh, people are trying to make money from it. And I'm like, and I'm not defending Spotify because I do believe that they should increase rates that their payouts to artists are. But how do they make their money when they launched? Because remember, all these platforms like Facebook was in a lot of trouble for many years until they could figure out advertising. And advertising wouldn't make sense if they didn't have enough people.
1: Yeah.
0: Same with Twitter. And all these platforms, right? So they had to do all these things to get people, get tons of people using it to make the advertising generate income. So when Spotify launched, they had nothing, right? Yeah. And they were able to go to record labels and say, here's the deal. And record labels looked at them and kind of were like, well, you got nothing, so sure. And so that's how the bad deal started is (laughs) that it's like, Record labels like, yeah, well, no one else is doing what you're doing. So sure. And it might not last and it might not take off. So sure, we'll take a chance with it. And that's how a bad deal gets signed. And it's very similar to a, a young artist doing a really bad record deal because they don't have any leverage. Right? So that's how that's, that deal happened. And, and at the time, you got to go, well, how is Spotify making money? $10 a month per user. And that user may listen to 300 songs. So if you take that $10 and chopped it up into 300 pieces, but there has to be a percentage that pays the security of the platform, the insurance of the platform, the running of the platform, the programmers, and they probably want to make a bit of profit after that too. Yeah. So now we're dealing with $10, chop it down to probably 40%, to go out to how many songs that user listened to and you go, Hmm, there's not much left actually. <laughs> yeah. But but now with advertising and all these other kind of subscription types, platforms and stuff, they've learned to make money because they've got the users and now they're in control because they go, well, you could just leave. And of course <laughs> when you have people, you don't want to leave.
1: You don't want to leave. Yeah.
0: Right. So, If there's ways artists can use it to leverage audience growth because people add value, but then direct them to where they make money, maybe selling merch on their website. Uh, When touring was in place, selling tickets. Um, You know, there's lots of ways. And the big part I would say is users need to get savvy or artists need to get savvy and really get on top of the, like what data is telling them, you know, like, if the data is saying your audience is in Germany, start marketing in Germany, start looking at how do we tour Germany or how do we get into that market? Um, you know, uh, the, that's where those tools did not exist for me at all. <laughs> and, you know, I would have welcomed that. Like, otherwise we just booked tours and like got in a bus or a van and traveled. And it was a uh, roulette, whether people were there or not sometimes. And it cost a lot to go across Canada. Uh, you know, I tour managed one band, it cost like 25 grand to go across Canada. Uh, luckily we had some really good shows and good agents, but uh, that's a costly investment. So long answer I know, but uh, hopefully it kind of puts things in perspective.
2: Well, it's funny because we had, and I can't remember whether it was story or romantic. I think it was story, who when we closed off and asked how people could keep in touch with her, she said, the number one thing was, and sign up for my email list. And it's like, as marketers, we're like, that's awesome. There's, there's your data, right? And, and, and I'm not talking the, 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 the data in terms of the listens, but you own that email. You know, on Facebook, you don't own that like. That's right. On Spotify, you don't own that play.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, you put a, that's an amazing point. Like I've had this argument with people lots of times at Harris. I teach how to do websites, how to do WordPress for websites. And people are like, should I even have a website anymore? Should I just put it on Facebook? I'm like, you know, you don't own anything that you put up on Facebook. Like the second you put it up, it's like theirs. And like, Oh, but it's my page. I'm like, cool. How much do you pay for that page? Nothing. Oh, well, I guess you don't really own it then, do you? Because they could shut you down like in a second and you've got nothing to, to claim, right? And, and uh, I saw a video fairly recently because there are talks about Facebook mm. shutting down yeah. streaming and all this stuff. Um, you know, a video talked about is like, well, that's what you have your website for. You put all your assets that you own on the thing that you own and you direct you use all these other platforms to direct people to the thing you own. <laughs> and you try to monetize that because you own it. Uh, and if you're collecting data, then you know who's been there and you can hit them up with ads and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, you know it's, it's that education part because a lot of artists just see what's front-facing and sometimes not quite what's under the surface or dig deep. And you know, it's actually an amazing time. Like, Mm -hmm. it's really amazing. Um, You could literally realize that someone in Lithuania loves your band. And they could become a super fan. And they could tell 10 people. Great. But could you find one person like that in 10 countries? And when you're doing stuff online, that's like 100 people showing up a lot of artists have a hard time getting a hundred people to their local venue. So I think this is actually super amazing. And what if everybody just paid 10 Mm bucks, that's a thousand bucks online that that could happen. Right. So, um, you know, during this time, we're all kind of providing content creators and are you providing good content that people care about, you know, um, there's it to be blunt, uh, you know, we're in an age where nobody gives a shit, that's just it. And and yeah. when you can embrace that, like I, I preach that almost, and people are like, Yeah, but uh, my stuff, and I'm like, Yeah, you care, nobody else cares. And the point is, the, the barrier is, Can you get it so other people care? Right? Don't assume that they do, don't expect that they do. And, and I think part, you know, tying it with mental health is like, nobody cares about my stuff or I'm not getting the results. I go on the aspect of nobody gives a shit about what I'm doing, period. No, like, Hey, I didn't get enough likes. Who cares? Cause I know they don't care.
2: Yeah. But
0: when it's like, wow, we got a hundred likes on that post and it, like, that's really cool. How can we utilize that and turn that to 200 mm-hmm. now? Like let's, let's actually look at it for what it is. And as an artist, like in real world, like I'll give you an example. I managed an artist that they would draw 150 people to the horseshoe. Horseshoe holds 450. So when you fill it with 150, nobody gives a shit because it's still not even 50% capacity. But we took that artist, and this is uh, when Cameron House had 45 capacity in the back room. We took them there. So that's 30% of what they normally bring out. And we sold that out in like 10 minutes, right? And the funny part is USS, their first iteration, they're called Team of Captains. That was their first show as the opening band that night. Um, But yeah, we sold out in like 10 minutes. And I was like, this works. So another band I worked with also had 150 people at Horseshoe. We did the same thing. And the difference is, is we did two shows in one night. So when the first one sold out, we added a second show. So and it's ten dollars. So basically, they made nine hundred dollars plus merch sales. So in one night, in the smallest venue in the city, they walked away with twelve hundred bucks. And we didn't need an opening band, so we didn't share anything. They didn't have to s- share a sound checks, so the sound was their sound, and it sounded great. It was the mo- easy, easiest show that we did. So then I'm thinking, well, online, can we do shows at forty five capacity? Like, can we limit? Tickets, like, instead of going, we have tickets on sale endlessly because online we could have as many. How about we say, I-, I can only sell 30 tickets to this. Exclusive, yeah. Exclusive,
1: yeah,
0: right? And then it's like, make it a thing. And VIP, now it's easy to talk like this. Like, imagine talking with the lead singer of the band. And we could take a selfie and post <laughs> it on social. And, and we could do a shirt. And, and all this kind of stuff. So, so there's actually lots of ways to leverage ah. this. You just got to think, how do, we, how do we make it really sizzle? And, and there's lots of ways.
1: That's interesting. It's almost, I was reading a book about the tragically hip not too long ago. And I think Jake Gold talked about utilizing a very similar model for, for the tragically hip saying, you know, he purposely kept them in venues that he knew they could sell out because he knew there was value in selling out and creating that buzz.
0: Yeah, all the bands I've worked with, I've really just sort of said, you have to sell out every single show, period, for anybody to give a shit. And if you aren't selling out, you're playing too big of a venue. And selling out doesn't mean you have to sell all the tickets. You know, uh, a band I worked with that had moved from Saskatchewan to Toronto, knew zero people in Toronto. like not one person they well me that's it <laughs> and and uh i took them out and we were at the bovine and i daryl's the owner there and i introduced them. And i said hey this is a band that's going to sell your bar out in october and i think it was like may and so i created a kind of a system and it's all numbers and math and it works a hundred percent of the time and so introducing a new band to a market live, uh, you play a venue that you know you can create a guest list that's going to fill the room. Because if you're a new band, you're going to have more impact if it's full than half full. Like, who the hell are these guys? Never heard of them. And they're filling the room. That's all said. Why? How come? Oh, now I give a shit. Yeah. So um, so the math is this. And it works every time. This is a secret. So I'm sharing it here. All right. It's... Okay, so bovine holds, say, 200 people. Only 30% of people on a guest list actually show up. So even when you, knowing like sales of tickets, there's still 10% of tickets that people just don't show, even if they bought tickets for. So as a guest list, 30% shows up. So that means you need three times capacity on the guest list. So we had to have a 600-person guest list. And these people knew me in Toronto and that's it. Now, most people won't say, yes, sure. I'll come see a band that I don't know about. So we had to ask double that. So they, I put the number down. They needed to talk to 1200 people to get 600 people to say, yes, I will come to actually have only 200 come. So 1200 people to talk to to only get 200, but who cares? Cause it's full. Yeah. Who cared? Right. And it it was hilarious. Um, like, basically we, we like, I'm a numbers guy. That's like, I'm crazy. I remember like (laughs) I'm running shows, I'm counting the number of people before the band, five minutes before the band, when the first song's on halfway through the set, end of set after. And like, like when I'm looking at a band to work with, I'd be like, well, uh, the band before you had this number of people, it surged a little bit prior to you. So that's only the people that you brought and by halfway through half of them had left. So that means, uh, no, the, you don't really have enough people to work with yet. So I'm always doing this number stuff. So, um, what we did is there's four people in the band. We divided up, say, you have to do one hour a day contacting people out of the blue. Huh. That's it. And it was like work. And if you think of that, five days, that's 20 hours, man hours, working towards your audience building. And, I, and they're like, well, oh, like musicians sometimes, oh, but like, it's really hard. A lot of people are saying no. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you got to talk to 1,200 people, just get like 200 there. So expect no, it's all good. Nobody gives a shit. And, uh, <laughs> and, and the thing about it is, is that we also targeted, you know, the people you need to talk to, the venue owners of all the venues of the city the promoters of the city, the radio stations of the city. They're all going to be part of the no's. That's okay. But now they've heard of you, right? And at the end of the experiment, it's like, what's the worst? 1,200 people know about you. How much did it cost you? Nothing. You Mm -hmm. just talked to 1,200 people. Now you're in the market, never played before. 1,200 people know about you. Your first show is capacity crowd. And what we also learned was that when you put people on guest list, they've saved money. They're going to buy at the merch table. So they still made $700, $800 per show selling merch when everybody came in for free. And they don't share merch money with the other bands where if it's door money, they do.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And after the first show, the band was like, wait, we made money. This is great. And I'm like, yeah, go look at your social. How many people posted photos? Who's this band? What's going on? That's marketing,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. right? And the people that said no saw the social feeds and started, like, by the third show, those people start going, "Uh, could I get on guesses for the next show? And that's growth. So basically, the first three shows were complete capacity crowd. They went from being nothing to automatically were in blogs. People were wanting to, like, work with the band. Uh, the, so this was October to December. And the next year, we turned down 25 show offers. Whoa. And, and, like, I remember the band going, hey, man, Lee's Palace called us. I'm like, yeah, of course. They want all your people. And they're like, what do we say? Say no. Screw it. And they're like, but it's Lee's Palace. I'm like, yeah, the building will still be there in two years when you're ready to play there. It's all good. Why do we wanna leave a safe environment to go to an unknown? We sell out every single time. Mm. So then the next strategy is, what's your next biggest market that you can travel to? Montreal. So your best leverage, we did this, like we did some research, call a band in Montreal and go, do you want a sold out show in Toronto on Friday night? Because we want one Saturday night in Montreal. And we notice you sell out your shows We sell out our shows. Let's do a swap. So we enter the new market with a sold out show. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so like I said, uh, to me, I actually feel this is all very easy. (laughs) Truthfully. Uh, you just got to think about it and numbers don't lie. going back to the guy who invented the web, who I think is a pretty smart guy. People add value.
1: People. That's it. That's it. People. Um, so I, th- I think it was last week. I don't know if you're familiar with Matt Elliott. He does some writing about the city. He, he found a, a report and maybe you've seen this report, Daryl, about the economic impact of live oh. music in Toronto. And they yes. came up last week or the week before, uh, they talked about, you know, I think it's over $600 million in 2019, uh, and tourism impacts, um, from Toronto's live music scene, almost 600 venues; 11 of them have permanently closed uh, as a result of of the pandemic. Um, and you know, we, we just finished a discussion on on how you take advantage, how bands can take advantage of you know playing. And obviously, we're in different times now, but you know, hopefully, um, in 2021 or 2022, you know, we'll feel comfortable enough as fans of live music to, you know, start attending again. You know, I'm not ready to go to see a show in my car. I might as well just listen to a YouTube playlist or something. I don't know, but I don't know. What, what are your, what are your thoughts on on live music? You know, regard, we have to take this pandemic into effect, but live music in Toronto, are are we just going to go to, uh, it's either the, uh, Roger Center, Scotiabank, Horseshoe, you know, is there no in-betweens, you know, or do we have these smaller rooms anymore? I know it says we almost have 600 venues, but, you know, they've taken into account library branches and things like that, right? So what are your thoughts on live music um, these days?
0: Uh you mean like how when are we going to get back to normal and all that kind of stuff? And what stuff. what will normal be?
1: Yeah, what will normal yeah. be? Like are, are we gonna be able to, you know, will the horseshoe be the horseshoe? Will there be other venues that we can go and experience new bands? Or do we have to pay a hundred bucks to see a band nowadays at you know at any of these other massive right. venues?
0: Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Um there's so early days of this, like for us to consider doing Indie Week, we did a survey. yeah. And as well, near the start of this, other sort of collaborations of sharing of knowledge came about, like uh, a lot of people may or may not know, but there's these online kind of groups, like I'm part of this, there's a new Festival Alliance of Canada and and we meet every few weeks uh, talking about, you know, what are you finding out and what's happening on your end and things like that. Uh, there's there's a number of these types of groups. There's one for venues across Canada. I've been mm. on a couple of those calls. Um, the CLMA has been very active, Canadian Live Music Association, and okay. they've been active in lobbying the government. So they're the voice of the music industry of Canada to go to the government and say, we need funding. We, and this is why your funding that you've done so far is not working with us and, and things like that. Uh, like as far as any week we've fallen through the cracks we're a for profit company, and uh essentially almost all the funding is for non for profits and and we we've estimated we do contribute over a million dollars to the economy of Toronto through all our year long activities um and and then there's one new fund for festivals and uh it's for festivals that take place August this year yeah. to march next year and i'm like wait, how do we have a festival right now? We can't have a festival right now. How are you giving funding to festivals that can't have festivals? And I'm like, but we're normally a festival and we're going online for a conference and educating and positive in that grant. There's like ineligible costs, conferencing, mentorships, meetings, all the activities we're doing is not eligible for funding for festivals to be resilient during covid. So so we've fallen through the cracks everywhere and thankfully uh, we've had sponsors that have come on board and and have been very supportive. Now, we did these we did these surveys and some of these other sort of groups did surveys and one thing that it was telling is that about 55-60% of the people we surveyed said that when it's when we're told it is safe, people are not Confident enough to go to live music for six months. So if they said tomorrow, we're all good. Live music open. A lot of people said they're not even going to show up for six months hmm. because they don't trust it. Uh, so if we say we're going to be locked down till April next year, there's a good chance people might not show up like they used to for six months after that.
2: To the fall.
0: Yeah, and 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 so, you know live music venues and event planners were different than restaurants and bars, mm. uh, to degree. Uh, you know, when I'm planning an event and I'm looking at a venue uh, when I'm walking around, I'm like, mm, fire hazard, uh, that somebody could get injured. We're going to need more security here. Like, like, we're like all about the safety of everybody first. Yeah. And when you're a small venue, A lot of them have stayed closed, not only because of the financial aspect, but also the safety aspect. You know, I live on King street and literally right before this call, I'm walking down the street, a restaurant posted, uh, our patios closed because a staff member has been tested positive. And that's the fifth bar restaurant on King street that has had cases of COVID in the last few weeks. Uh, you know, uh, so I wouldn't be too positive about opening a, an establishment to people right now.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and, and so how will it look? We have to change, you know, yeah. um, at the start of all this, I was kind of comparing it to SARS. I remember SARS is like also kind of a pandemic, not at this scale, but it went away.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And we got back to normal eventually. Um, but i feel this is more like a 911 where the world has changed the impact of this is yeah. global and how i travel through the airport security is not like how it was before 911 it's yeah. completely changed uh so i think that that's what's going to happen here there's got to be there's probably going to be some more onsite testing to ha- allow access to some locations um uh, the online is happening like there's gonna be, I think, more and more hybrid type events. Um, and if people I think were really tuning in and I think like Live Nation is really smart, um, you know, the last I'd say even prior to COVID, I've been sort of saying live music's where it's at, but it's actually in a lot of trouble. And and I think this is giving even more light to it. Like yeah. if you look at pole star numbers, the top 10 grossing artists is like Uh, The Eagles, ACDC, U2, Madonna, Elton John. There's a Bruno Mars in there and maybe an Adele. Uh, But top 10, the performers are a generation that probably aren't going to be touring as much in 10 years. And it goes from like really high millions of dollars at the top, like say 700 million is the top earner but when you get down to position five and six, we're down to like 40 million. That's a huge difference. Imagine if all of that goes away, that's a loss. And the, the new generation just doesn't have the number of artists to fill stadiums. Right. Yeah. And now we're like, Whoa, we can't even fill venues like we normally do because of all this. So where do we go? We go online. Uh, and and I look at uh, UFC as a viable type of model in moving forward, where they'll do a week long promotion locally. You know, like here's the at the gym. Here's a press conference. Here's all this stuff, uh, and then it's it's a live in person event, but the rest is pay per view. And I could see that. Being what the next viable concert model is. Um, because even when, yeah, like, like think of like Metallica, they just did a concert that was beamed out to hundreds drive-ins. of drive-ins, drive-ins. <laughs> you know, like hundreds of drive-ins at one time. And Metallica, you know, I would be sitting there if I was James Hetfield going, hmm, tour bus, or uh, do we just play an album every show and we do one show every three months and we've got enough albums that will cover a year and a half and i can be at home every night Uh right um that could be a viable type of model uh and it also extends past that that's now content that i bet will end up on netflix next year or amazon uh and so there's more money to be made off of the one performance than ever before
2: Interesting. So we we haven't even really touched on CD Baby, and I know we're right <laughs> out of time. So so like, can you give us an idea of what CD Baby does to help artists and the platform?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's man, it's been booming. Holy, holy! People are releasing a ton of music. Like yeah. it was our our VP of marketing called it a tsunami. Like yeah. uh, March was our busiest month in uploads in company history. The company's been around since 98. Uh, And then April was our second busiest month in company history. Like, I know we were all stretched. Like, holy, okay, we're all working from home. Uh, We're setting some people up with computers. And holy, it's just never-ending, like the onslaught. It was actually quite amazing to see. Uh, So, one, we're making sure it gets distributed. It took a little bit longer than normal at that time because the people we were distributing to are also working at home. Uh, so it's kind of nuts um but uh, as far as it goes like we're we we've got a couple levels and one is uh publishing administration so that's managing royalties so that artists are collecting properly globally uh that's a huge one um you know a lot of artists think i sign up with socan and i'm covered but there's so much more to sign up for and as an artist you just don't have time you know oh there's a new thing in africa should i care about it uh doesn't matter. You're already on it because you signed up and it's done. And if something happens, you're collecting. So it's all good. Um, So that's a big part. And then as well, keeping forward with the education, uh, Kevin and Chris, they run our blog and our podcast and the topics that they've been doing is really with the times. Like, so when Facebook, like the whole, man, they're going to shut us down. They went online and did Q and A's, did a blog about it. So there's information always going out. Uh, connect like telling artists, you know, here's how you can navigate these times. Here's how you can maximize and, and, you know, get your royalties collected properly and monetize. Um, so, so that's a big part. And then we're part of the downtown family. Uh, so our sister brands is show.co, which is marketing AdRev, which is re- revenue collections on YouTube and monetization there. Um. Sounddrop is a distribution service for covers, which was really big right now. So I've directed some artists there. Uh, it's free to distribute. They just take a small percentage. You just 10 bucks for the licensing of the cover. And uh, if it's available and uh, a lot of bands are doing covers these days. So I was like, why not yes, put this are. up? you never know. Um, I got to put a shout out to Mikey and his uke. He does a ukulele. Um, uh, He did a hundred songs in a hundred days on his ukulele on Facebook. That's how he coped with quarantine. (laughs) So we talked about it and now he's got a YouTube channel called Mikey and his uke. He, in a couple months, he's got almost 4,000 subscribers already and he's doing videos. It started off as punk songs on his ukulele, which was kind of the cool catch, but now he's got members of offspring uh Mill Colin, um uh Goldfinger, uh all these real classic punk artists collaborating and doing covers. And it's on his YouTube channel, and he's getting thousands of views. It's freaking amazing. Alan That's Cross awesome. talked about him the, the other day, you know, and, and that came out of an idea that didn't exist before COVID. Huh. Right? So so the other part is and part of my role I talk about education. But when I see artists doing certain things, I sometimes will reach out and go, hey, maybe try this and try to give a bit of guidance uh, through this time. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing.
2: That's cool. Um, So one of the questions we'd like to ask before we wrap it up is what are you listening to lately? What's in your earbuds?
0: Oh, man. Uh, Everything comes my way. Um, There's a a lot of indigenous artists that are really great, I got to say uh Midnight Shine. Yes. Uh, ah. is is awesome. Uh they just did a, a cover of uh Grace 2, Tragically Hip. Um Twin Flames, another indigenous artist. Last year they had a song called Human that was the UNESCO Year of the Indigenous Voice song. Okay. Um so that's pretty awesome. Um Gabriela B we just released uh, she's a really young artist, millions of views on YouTube and a uh, song just came out last week. Uh, new walk off the earth is coming out. Um, yeah, it's, it's just surrounded by music. It's, it's been great. That's awesome.
1: That is awesome. So Daryl, before we let you go, um, Indie Week is coming up the virtual version of Indie Week. Uh, where can people go? Uh, to get more information and when exactly is it?
0: Sure. Uh, so, Indie Week online is November 10th to the 14th. And you just simply go to indieweek.com. Uh, we have a working schedule up and it's like we have a lot to upload. We're just working on a new platform. And part of the, you got to get all the data in to be able to upload it. So, literally in the next day or two, it's going to be online and as well as speakers. More and more people are jumping on board, which is super exciting. Um, There's gonna be uh, talks about mental health, different communities, including indigenous, the black community, the uh, LGBTQT community. Sorry if I said that wrong. Uh, I've been talking all day. Uh, We're talking about mental health, connections with international delegates, and actually putting them together for B2B meetings and we have mentorships, education. Uh, and, uh, Martin Atkins is one of our key speakers. He's been with us for the last few years. Uh, if you don't know Martin, uh, he's played with, uh, nine inch nails, ministry, public image, limited, uh, pig face, uh, tons of artists and and he's written books like tour smart. So he's really knows what he's talking about. And, uh, Luckily, as well, uh, our CEO at CD Baby, Tracy Maddox, is doing our keynote on talking about the future of where music is going. And this is a guy who's Mm. really tuned in. Uh, He's very smart, and I I really look up to him. Um, IndieWeek.com, tickets are on sale. Uh, It's early bird pricing until the end of October. So after October 30th, it goes up a little bit. So uh, now's the time to get it. Uh, there's two types. There's attendee where you get to watch stuff, and there's delegate where you get to participate in the meetings and some of the extra uh, VIP kind of stuff.
1: Awesome. Daryl, thanks. On behalf of uh, the music industry and all the participants, thanks for everything that you do, yeah. both at Indie Week and uh, with CD Baby. And uh, on behalf of Greg and myself, thanks so much for Thank coming you. on sure.
0: This has been awesome, guys. Love talking to you. Awesome. Take care, buddy. Take care. Cheers. Thanks.